So I think if businesses took hold of this and spoke to business people on many levels, including as parents, then I think you would see a paradigm shift. Leading Matters with Joel Caparello. Okay, today's episode is absolutely one of the more unique that I've done. Um, I don't even really know how to introduce it, so you might have read the the teaser, so you probably have an idea. But um, let me tell you about my guest first. And again, as always, I get into a little bit longer description when the conversation starts here in a moment. But her name is Dr. Gail Dines, and she has done an incredible amount of research on the impact of pornography in the culture and its effect on children, young boys, girls. And she has, um, again, I'll get into more about, about who she is, just to know that she teaches sociology and women's studies at Wheelock College in Boston. She also founded a non-for-profit organization called Culture Reframed, which she proudly uh, describes as building, helping to build a resilience and resistance in youth from the harms of the porn culture. So that's who she is. I, I want to tell you how I came about stumbling upon her work. Um, you know, I source guests for these things in, in a certain process. And in early January, I was looking at some of the top 10 lists that frequently come out. And I came across a top 10 list of the most interesting women to watch in 2016. And Gail was on that list. And it kind of described what you just heard. So I clicked in to see some of her work. And I have to tell you, it was, it's, it's, it's compelling, first of all. But it's also quite alarming when you kind of consider where the culture has progressed. As a matter of fact, in this, she also has a documentary called um, oh, Pornland. It's a book, and it was made into a documentary by an organization. She talks about it in a second, and I'll put a link to it in the in the notes here. But there's an image there where it kind of juxtaposes um, Miley Cyrus when she was Disney's Hannah Montana versus the Wrecking Ball and uh, video. And if you're familiar with that video, Miley's kind of writhing around on uh, on a wrecking ball, literally, in, in, in complete, you know, unclothed, naked. So it's it's a really stunning juxtaposition, and she talks about it as uh, from the perspective of women being invisible unless they, you know, kind of adopt and adhere to what's called the porn culture. So anyway, I when I saw that, and towards the end of her talk, she introduces culture reframed and her work as eradicating you know porn as not a moral issue she certainly believes it is one but she doesn't address it as a moral issue she addresses it as a public health issue and she cites some very alarming statistics in this talk that you're going to hear in a minute so okay so let's connect the dots why bring this topic to this show well because i thought towards the end of that show um well let me t- tell it to you this way and i use the analogy in the conversation here with gail in a second um texting and driving uh, organizations companies have really gotten on the bandwagon to try to do what they can to eliminate texting and driving as a risk to public health. I mean, that's just a fact. Drinking and driving, same thing, but it's been a longer time, obviously. But texting and driving is kind of a new phenomenon. So, the, as a matter of fact, I worked for an employer that made it crystal clear that they were intolerant of texting and driving, and that if you had uh, been in an accident and texting was uh, part of you know, proven to be part of the accident, then you would lose your job. I mean, they made no bones about it, for the sole purpose of saying, "Hey, listen." This is an important issue to us, and we want to make it part of who we are. We want to make it part of our values. And the company had a value of, of safety as one of their core values, so it kind of lined up well. So I thought to myself, well, gee, if this truly is a public health issue, 
and you know, I'll leave it up to you to decide whether it is or not, um, then we do have a responsibility to do what we can as business leaders to impact that issue. And then I you know, made the leap from, wow, this is actually a perfect fit with what we talk here about. We talk a lot about mission and culture and values and making those things tangible and real so that we can better engage our employees, so that we can better do our work. So you know what? I thought, and I'll tell you what, I'm even halfway through this conversation because I was a little suspect about it at first, but then when I really got into this conversation with Gail that you're about to hear in a moment, I was like, man, I am so glad that I invited her on because she has an incredible positive outlook on how to discuss this, how it impacts lives, its importance, and most importantly, how to enlighten and educate first before we jump down the the prohibitive, intolerant, lockdown, kind of big brother perspective of what you would typically see a company's reaction be. Uh, you know, she certainly talks about the productivity and the impact of the bottom line and the increased risk that it has to a company, but she goes further here and talks about it as, listen, if we want to be a company of integrity, if that matters to us, if it matters, if equality matters to us, and, uh, you know, those are part of who we are, then this is part and parcel to, to that mission and to that vision of who we are. Um, so listen, I, I want you to enjoy it. And this is one, listen, I want you to share this one as I, I ask that a lot, but this one I think is a, is a pretty interesting discussion shared around. I'd love to get your feedback just to hear what you thought about the conversation to, uh, see if you're motivated to do something within your organizations to make this adoption of, uh, rejecting which, what Claire, um, what Gail calls the, the porn culture, uh, as part of who you are as a company. So listen, I've gone on typically longer than I, I, I do here. It's about five-minute mark, almost six minutes. So let's jump into it now and listen to this very compelling, interesting, uh, thought-provoking, and motivating talk that I had with Gail Dines, Dr. Gail Dines. Okay, my guest today on Leading Matters is Dr. Gail Dines. Gail is a professor of sociology and women's studies at Wheelock College in Boston. She's an internationally acclaimed speaker, the author and feminist uh, public intellectual, her writing and lectures focus on the hypersexualization of the culture and the ways that pornographic images filter down into the mainstream popular culture. She also is the founder and president of Culture Reframed, and that is a nonprofit health organization that focuses on building resilience and resistance in youth from the harms of the porn culture. And you can find them at culturereframed.org. In addition to that, her book, Pornland, How the Porn Business Has Hijacked Our Sexuality, and her TEDx talk are, are actually quite compelling and, and really alarming as well, something that you should take a look at and read. So first things first, uh, Gail, if I may call you Gail, thank you so much for joining me today on Leading Matters. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. So listen, I'm, I got to tell you, this is a little bit of a departure for me. I usually talk to business leaders and, and uh, small business owners and things like that. But after I saw your talk, I just sort of tell you how I, I stumbled across you. I found you as a, you were on a list included of the 10 most fascinating women to watch in 2016 at the beginning of the new year. And that's when I saw your, your talk that you had delivered and you were kind enough to share with me the documentary that was done against your uh, book, Pornland. And I was aghast, quite frankly, at it. And especially as you are now leading Culture Reframed, I thought, wow, this, I think this transforms really 
uh, into an issue that's kind of a niche issue, and it really impacts the way we lead our lives and the way we lead our businesses. That was a big reason why I wanted to have you on. But first things first, I, you know, before I dive into that, I want to just give you the opportunity for the benefit of those who are not familiar with your work to give us a brief overview of what your research has found and why you believe the problem of pornography is not only cultural, but indeed a public health issue. Okay, great. Well, let's begin, first of all, by saying that there's over 40 years of peer-reviewed research on the effects of pornography. So this is not a new issue. Psychologists, sociologists, public health experts and medical experts have been looking into what does it mean to basically consume pornographic images of women. And even when the work was coming out 40 years ago, pre-internet, so remember they were studying the effects of Playboy, Penthouse and Hustler, they were finding that pornography impacts the way men think about women, it impacts the way they think about themselves, their own sexuality, it lowers their capacity for empathy, it lowers their capacity for intimacy. So that was pre-internet. What's happened is since the internet kind of hit and became domesticated and into our homes, pornography has now become affordable, accessible and anonymous. And as the industry took hold of the internet, and it's very want to understand how this works. The internet didn't just drive porn. Porn drove the internet. A lot of the innovations you saw in the early days about payment systems and pop-ups and pop-downs and all of those, that was actually developed by the porn industry. So there's a kind of symbiosis between the technology developed through the internet and how much the pornography industry has been feeding into that technology and funding a lot of it. So once the internet got into the homes, Anyone in LA, in the valley in LA, which is where most uh, doctors concentrated, was basically buying a video camera, making porn, putting it up there on the internet, and they were making a fortune. I mean, the porn industry couldn't believe how much money was out there. And in fact, when I was, um, I've been following the porn industry for 25 years and writing about it, they were actually saying in the porn business manuals, get out there, make money, because we can do anything we want. There's just money to be made. Now what's happened is that that's shifted because there's been a concentration of actually distribution, which is where the money is. There's only really one major company in the world that controls most of the distribution of pornography, and that's called MindGeek, and that's actually in Luxembourg with offices in Canada and the United States. Mm -hmm. So what we know now is that because pornography took off like it did, it became much more violent very quickly. And the reason for that very specifically is that men had such access to it that they became desensitized very quickly. So the soft core porn of Playboy and Penthouse is now gone. Right? It's, you, can't, you can probably find it on the internet in maybe 15 minutes. I do the research on the porn that the average 11 year old boy gets to. The reason for that is we know from studies is that the first age of viewing porn for boys is around 11 to 12. So my research is really looking at what are these boys watching? And remember they don't have a credit card. So I put porn into Google and I go where they go. And I would say to anybody out there, especially parents, put porn into Google, go into either YouPorn or Pornhub and just look at the violent and degrading and cruel world that 11-year-old boys are being catapulted into. We're not talking about softcore anymore. We're talking literally, it's basically torture, what they do to women in porn today, and this is across the board, 
This is, we found from studies, for example, that over 90% of the most watched porn has either physical, sexual, and or verbal abuse against women. And I, I don't know who this is going out to, so I can't really explain some of the acts unless you give me permission to. I mean, how much do you want me to explain what's actually out there? Well, I'm going to encourage people to go watch your um, watch your stuff. So let's keep it uh, kind That's of a good idea. That's an excellent yeah. idea. Yeah. And um, I would say the Pornland, the documentary that can be found at the Media Education Foundation site probably will show you really acutely what's out there. Yeah, and I, again, I want to interrupt you there. And, and really, I do. This is a big reason why I had you on because I think, look, I, I talk a lot about mission and culture and purpose. And part of this, what I do is, Hey, I think we need to make an impact on things that matter. And after, and I got to be honest, you know, I, I knew it was kind of a problem. I have a, I have children, a, a big family, and but it wasn't really. I didn't realize how dramatic the problem is until I saw some of those images because they're quite alarming. And and the way you frame it is that they're not inaccessible, and quite the opposite, they're very accessible. So is that fact when you started to dive into the research and you started to see where the 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 capitalization and the corporatization of this industry is headed that you really believe this is a bigger issue this is indeed a, a public health issue well there's no question i mean when you look at the effects um and how it's spread out from families to communities to wider societies and the great thing about a public health approach is that you bring to the table multiple stakeholders who normally wouldn't sit down together. So for example, at Culture Reframed, we have medical professionals, we have business people, we have therapists, we have public health experts, you know, all the people who have a vested interest in the well-being of the next generation, which let's be honest, this is what this is about. It's about the well-being of the next generation. And it's a public health issue, just like, for example, drinking and driving was a public health issue. It didn't just impact that person who drank. That person would get in a car, would cause accidents, which would have massive impacts on all the families involved, on the communities, on the medical profession. You know, they say, for example, on a Saturday night, the emergency rooms are full of people from, because of drinking, drink and driving. So I want you to think about the way the effects of an 11-year-old boy spreads out to the culture. It's spread not only to him, who is being, I would argue, traumatized by the level of violence of the images that he is using. It's spreading out into how he's relating to his peers how he's relating to his parents, and then how he relates to the girls and the women he dates, his wife. I mean, I get calls all the time from women who find that their husbands hadn't, they had no idea. And they get up in the middle of the night, these women, they can't sleep. The husbands forgot to turn their computer off. They go to turn the computer off and there they see the most violent porn mm. they've ever seen. And, and then it affects the kids because we know that over 60% of marriages in the United States that are um, basically ending divorce have pornography mentioned in them. So just think about that. This is from the Matrimonial um, Lawyers Association of America. Over 60% have pornography as part of the reason that the marriage is dissolving. That's a public health issue because when marriages dissolve, you impact on children, especially as well. We also know it leads to violence against women, that men who consume a lot of hardcore pornography are much more likely to abuse women. They're also, and this is the new research now, they're more likely to abuse children as well, even if they're not pedophiles. So the effects is kind of this ripple effect, a domino effect that is reshaping the culture. And I know when I lecture across the country and other countries, the stories you hear, you can see this is changing the sexual templates and sexual behaviors of young people all over the world. Well, you know, I, I, as you're speaking about that, 
and I want to jump ahead. I'm going to get back into the, the responsibilities that we have as business leaders in just a little bit. But one of the things I was stunned by once I came across your talk and you know, looked at the documentary and kind of looked at some of your research, I thought, wow, this is a no-brainer. And it seems like a, a topic that, that the feminist movement would absolutely want to get behind. But I was really shocked by the level of nasty response to some of your work coming from, of all places, women. And, and I, don't, I don't get that. Can you help me, especially as a man, you know, kind of, I don't understand why that is. Why, do you, why is that? Why is there such a, a guttural negative reaction to, to this, uh, this position? Because I think everything you outline there is just common sense, right? I don't need a study to tell me that, hey, yeah. if something is leading to divorce and it's 60%, it plays a part in 60% of all divorces that are on the books. I mean, that, that's shocking and that obviously impacts our society. But why is that, that visceral reaction to your work? I don't, is it the money? I mean, to, help me understand that. Okay, well, let me say the reaction comes from many places. Of course, you know, the porn industry follows me everywhere, um, protests me. Um, I'm all over their business pages. Obviously, I expected the porn industry. And then the porn users who are very upset with me. And the worst that comes at me actually is from the porn industry and men who are porn users. The, the question you're asking around um, the feminist community is that, first of all, let me say, I was a feminist before I even knew what the word feminist meant. And for me, that meant, you know, there was no, this again is a no brainer. Women and men should have full and absolute equal rights, no question. What has happened is a small group of feminists have broken off from the mainstream feminist movement, arguing that porn is actually good for women because it allows them sexual agency and empowerment. Many of these women, I would say most of them, are not researchers. They do not know what the peer-reviewed journals are saying. They do not study the porn industry. So what they're speaking from is this kind of idea is, you know, is this, I want my sexuality, which women should be able to own, but what they're confusing is pornography, which is a business that commodifies and corporatizes sexuality with sexuality as something that individuals have a right to own and create in their own way. So they're collapsing sex with pornography. And that's where a lot of the problem is coming from. They think an anti-pornography position, which I hold, is an anti-sex position. It's the opposite. My argument is if you are pro-sex, meaning pro a healthy, connected, intimate form of sexuality, then you have to be anti-porn. You can't be pro-sex and pro-porn. The two are the absolute opposite ends. Because pornography really is anti-sex. Pornography is about violence and degradation. So it is a splinter of the feminist movement. And I don't want to sort of overplay that these women are running the feminist movement. They are very vocal, as you've seen, all over um, in the internet. But generally speaking, I don't really engage with that. I engage more with um, medical associations. Um, I engage with sex therapists. I give lectures in hospitals to pediatricians. Uh, doctors all over. This is the group that we engage with because they're the movers and shakers of the world, to be honest with you, not a small group of people who live on Facebook. Very good. I like that. That's a great response. It actually it actually gives me a little bit more hope because I was kind yeah. of stunned by by some of the backlash. So let me let 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 me get into then kind of what I cover on a more regular basis, which is business leaders and and things like that. So the one question I, I have is, do you think that business leaders have a responsibility here and, and really that responsibility to, to take the issue seriously? And can they, you know, and to create an analogy, use drinking and driving, but let's use texting and driving today. There's so many employees that that make it clear to their employees that 
texting and driving is not tolerated. You know, they're usually holding mobile devices that belong to the company, so they make it crystal clear that if you're involved in a, a motor car accident that involved texting, that you're going to lose your job. I mean, should business leaders take this issue as seriously as they take something like texting and driving? Well, let's be honest. Most people spend a good proportion of the time at their place of work. And I think for a society, a civil society to work well, then we have to have a kind of um, integrity in all of our major institutions. And that would especially include business leaders. So my answer to that is, of course, businesses should. Now, not just because they have a role to play in creating a world that we all want to live in, but also because it doesn't help them. We know, for example, from studies that a lot of pornography is accessed at work. So just think of all the hours that they're losing in business with men who are using pornography at work. Number two, we know that pornography leads to sexual harassment and lowers men's intimacy, uh, connection and empathy for women. So what you're doing is you're setting up a hostile environment. Think of a guy who's using porn at work or even outside of work and then comes to work. It's gonna change the way that he deals with his female colleagues. And then you're going to have a more likely environment of sexual harassment, sexual violence, which, again, we know is costing business billions, probably in this country, fighting these cases. So on just in terms of what it means for self-interest, absolutely. But I'm not just about self-interest. I'm about creating a society that we want our children to live in. And that is really the job of adults. It is our job to make the world a good place for our children. And we have dropped the ball on this. And I would like business leaders to come in and to develop a kind of culture that says to men, we will not tolerate you consuming images of violence against women. We do not want these kind of people working for us. We want people who understand that women and children have as much rights in this society as you do. And I think that business has could really be a world leader in this. And having seminars around this, having lectures around this. I mean, there's many men at work as well, we have to also talk about this, who are porn addicts. Addiction to pornography has actually gone through the roof. And um, in two weeks, I am keynoting at the Sexual Trauma and Addictions Conference about this because they're finding that so many men who are coming in with what looks like sexual addiction is actually addiction to porn. So many mistakes of men saying they can't get to work because they're sick, it's actually they can't get away from their computer at home because they're using porn. So on so many levels, I would love business leaders to say, we're going to take a stand on this, not a moralistic stand, but as public health stand to say, it's in your interests as a man, as a partner, as a father, and as part of a society that we want to build for our children, for you not to be consuming these images. Sure, that that's that's very powerful, right? And again, I'm glad that that we're discussing it because I, I agree. I, I agree that listen, like back to my analogy, you know, the texting and driving is, is again something that's so crystal clear. There's there's you have to sign, you know, waivers and and confirmation forms, and and it ought to be the same type of thing. But and this might be putting on the spot a little bit, and it's okay if you don't have a a, a clear answer on this. But what about the nuance of the issue where business leadership is concerned, right? Is there a is there a way? So I talk a lot about the vi mission and the values of a company. You know, every company's got values, and mm -hmm. they and, and the better companies they really try to stick hard and fast to those values, right? So the question is, do you think there's a way, a, a nuanced way that leadership can instill? this uh, this intolerance of uh, of pornography into the very values of their companies without being kind of overt. I'm just curious if that's if you think that's achievable. 
Oh, absolutely. And you know what would be a very good example is how business has taken the lead to not allow racism in the workplace. That, because businesses have now said, you know, there's got to be equality and also they can be sued if it's overt racism. So think how they did that. They brought in seminars, they brought in people to discuss it. And when you do that, and you're talking to sort of a sociologist here, so let's talk about the diffusion of norms. How do you do a paradigm shift when it comes to norms? What you do is you get enough people to buy into the view of what is behavior that has integrity, that is good for society, and that we want not just in our business, but also outside of the business. And then when enough people buy into those norms, something happens where it becomes the right thing to do. So where you might have met resistance, what you're saying is this is a culture that prizes those men who refuse to cooperate with the pornography industry, who refuse to buy their products, and most importantly, who refuse to buy in to their images and ideologies of women as second-class citizens. And we know from a sociological perspective, when you get enough people to buy into a way of thinking, something organic begins to shift in a culture. And at work, something organic will shift in that business culture. It won't be easy. They'd have to put money into this in terms of educating the people at work. Why is this a problem? If I, if you were to say to people right now in a workplace, especially men, stop using porn because this is not the norms or values of the business we want, they absolutely would be confused. You know, they wouldn't understand what you're talking about because they don't often understand what the problem was. If you would put some education behind this, because remember a lot of those men have daughters as well and they wouldn't want to see their daughters in porn. They wouldn't want to think of some other men watching their daughters having sex in porn. They wouldn't want to think of their daughters at risk of being violated or raped by a man who's using porn. And then they have sons. And they don't want to think of their sons as porn users. You know, I have a son. And I have to tell you, what would have been awful for me would have been if the pornographers would have taken hold of my son's sexuality. He had a right to develop his own, just as every other person does. And so we did a lot of anti-porn work in our house when we were bringing our son up, just because we wanted him to have the right to flourish and to develop intimate relationships. And I'm sure there's so many women and men in business who want this for their children. You know what? I know there is, because I know whenever I go and lecture, the impact I have from parents is profound, because they might come in as doctors, they might come in as lawyers to my talk, they might come in as business people, but you know what? Ultimately, they become parents, which is a good thing, because children should always be at the front of our minds and their well-being. So I think if businesses took hold of this and spoke to business people on many levels, including as parents, then I think you would see a paradigm shift. But business has been very slow to take this on. Mm -hmm. They don't discuss it, they really don't. Because there's a bit of a Pandora's box going on here because when you lift the lid up, you're gonna see just what's going on in businesses and how many men are accessing pornography at the workplace. Sure, sure, and I, I, I believe that, right? And I love your passion about it too because it's it's not it's not discussed, right? And I think that's the next question I might have, right? And when you talk to business leaders here, and it, look, it's a hot potato. People might not want to talk about it. They might be afraid of being accused of being overtly Puritan or, or worse, like being big brotherish by locking down strict oversight in their workplace. So in the face of that sort of opposition, what would you say to leaders that listen to this and they're moved by it? They go look at some of your other material and now they think, OK, I want to take action here. I believe that it is indeed not just a cultural issue, but a, but a health uh, issue as well. 
uh, yet they're faced with some of this pushback. I mean, what would you say about the business leader might be fearful of, inv- of enacting stricter or tougher zero-tolerance positions? I think a lot is in the approach. I think if you come in as kind of big brother and lock the computers down and say no porn without having a sort of educational program, a conscious raising program, discussion groups, I think you can get people to buy in if you do work in changing, again, the norms and values of the business. I believe you would get a lot more buy-in. I think you can't come in as the big heavy and say, you can't do this, you can't do that, and not explain why. And I honestly believe, as I say, that most people want to do right by the culture. They want to do right by their children. They want to do right by their colleagues, by the people they care about. So what it would take is um, an educational program that businesses would have to develop. And actually, at Culture Reframed, we're developing these educational programs. They're still in the uh, production mode at at the moment. But we are creating programs, online programs, where people can learn about the harms of pornography, where they can learn what this is doing to the culture, what it is doing as a public health issue. And the more education and the more knowledge you have with this and the more armed that business leaders are with this knowledge, the more likely you are to get buy-in. There is no question in my mind. I have been doing this work for 25 years. I can tell you, I can go into the most hostile of audiences, and I do sometimes, and within one hour, they are on my side. That's what it often takes. One hour of a lecture and the hostility goes out the room and instead they're all clambering to say, what can we do? How can we help? Very good. That's good to hear. So listen, again, I, I want to shift gears a, a little bit here to talk about women in the workplace, right? Um, and I want to use this example. A couple of years ago, you know, Sheryl Sandberg, the chief operating officer of Facebook, we obviously know who Sheryl is, got behind this campaign to ban the word bossy right then. And it was kind of, you know, it was basically encouraging young girls to be leaders and face down, you know, whatever it was, this word bossy, right? Uh, uh, do you think that prominent female leaders have a greater responsibility to get behind the effort to face down the impact of uh, pornography, to raise the issue, to shine light on it in our businesses and in our culture? No, not a greater responsibility. They have the same responsibility that male business leaders have, which is to shift the cultural norms of the business. But I do think the women would buy in a lot quicker than the men. And the reason for this is a lot of the women who are working in business have to deal with men who are porn users. And this is what I hear a lot from women is how difficult it is to um, date porn users, how difficult it is to be married to one. So I think you would get buy in a lot quicker from the women. But I think they would be very grateful to have men as their allies in this. And I don't think it's just on women's shoulders. This, This is too big a problem. Right. We can't leave this to a group of just women to do this. Men have to do buy in for this. So I would say it is the responsibility of business leaders all over the country to do this. And I, I honestly believe that if we push this, we would see a cultural shift. What, what about um, younger you know, millennials, right, and, and young women just coming into the workforce today? I mean, if they, you know, I'm sure they've experienced through college the effects firsthand of what it means to have relationships and date in this type of culture. I mean, as they're entering that workforce, look, I have a daughter who's just about 20 years old myself, right? So what would you tell a father of a 20-year-old? What would you tell that 20-year-old to, to how to prepare herself for, you know, fighting this tide, raising awareness, and being an example in any way that she can? Like, what can we tell our daughters? Well, you, you know, you're teaching, to, you teach college students, 18 to 22 mainly. So this is what I sort of, first of all, let me just say to most parents out there, we know the rape statistics. One in four girls 
or women rather, are raped in their lifetime. That's the statistic. So first of all, remember, a quarter of all the women you're speaking to have histories of sexual abuse. And a lot of it increasingly is being linked to porn. They have, they have experienced this. When my students come to class and when I go and give lectures, after I finished a lecture in a college, they are lining up, both the women and the men, with different stories, but the women are lining up and they say to me things like, now I know why I was raped. Now I know why you did this to me. Now I understand what happened to me with this guy. It, makes, it gives them a way of understanding the violence and the degradation that they have suffered. So what I would say to these 20, 22 year old women is, it's really gonna be your generation that is gonna suffer the most because the, men, the boys who started porn at 11 are now coming of age today. They're entering into business. They're becoming lawyers, doctors. Uh, there was just a case, for example, of a doctor at Mount Sinai who was found to be drugging his patients and uh, masturbating on them. I mean, this is the tip of the iceberg if we don't stop this. So what I would say is we all have a vested interest because the genie is now out of this bottle. And unless we really work together as a group, we are not gonna put this genie back in the bottle. And what we are going to do is lay waste to our next generation of kids. So if we want good, not just workers, but human beings who have a joyfulness of life, who have intimate relationships, and who will be better workers because of that, then I would say to them, join us to fight pornography. Join us so that pornography becomes the uncool thing to do. That we, just as it's now uncool for young people to smoke, we have to make pornography the same way. It's not cool. You're violating women's rights and you're not doing yourself any good anyway as a male because you're killing your capacity for intimacy and connection. So I think you get enormous buying from young people. And I'm telling you, they're tired of the porn culture. They are tired and they are fed up. And I'm seeing a sea change in that age because they are the ones living on the front lines of this porn culture. So, I, you know, the, the way you approach it is very, I like it. There's a lot of hope and, and enthusiasm, right? Not, not a negative, oh, the tide is too, too great and we can't turn back the tide. You, it's just the opposite. Say, hey, if we actually pay attention and focus that we could actually have an impact. And I love the way you framed it for business leaders as well. Let me ask you one final question because when we were talking a week or so ago leading up to our phone call today, you, you told me something I found very interesting that I want you to share with this audience is that the issue is incredibly unifying. So in other words, no matter what your political beliefs might be, no matter what your, you know, your, your ethnicity, your uh, religion, whatever it might be, you, you told me that the issue is, uh, is a, a unifying issue. So can you share that with my audience a little bit? Yes. Um, I mean, what we found is that this is an issue that groups who normally would not work together on issues can get behind. So we often have at the table doctors, therapists, faith-based groups, academics, parents. Um, there's a lot of anti-porn faith-based groups out there. They don't approach it in the same way that we do as the public health issue. But we work with faith-based groups as well. And, you know, I, I'm a feminist. I've got feminist views. It's not always sits well with a lot of faith-based people. But we have worked together seamlessly and in ways that have really helped shift paradigms again. Um, we, for example, a number of feminist groups and faith-based groups work together trying to bring awareness to the film Fifty Shades of Grey. Remember that, the film that came out last year? Of course, yes. And we did together a joint campaign. These were rape crisis centres, battered women's shelters, faith-based groups, and we did this campaign called $50, Not Fifty Shades. And we said, instead of going to see a film that's about violence against women and that glorifies it, that Fifty Shades of Grey did, we said, 
take the, the two tickets, popcorn and two drinks, which is $50, and donate it to the nearest battered women's shelter rather than going to see the film. We got hundreds of different groups signing on to this. We went international and battered women's shelters got all this money from people who would have at first gone to see a film that glorified violence. And instead, together, we worked to get, we worked and we brought, again, a paradigm shift. And suddenly the media, instead of glorifying a film that was about violence against women, we, I was interviewed by ABC, CNN, um, all over. We shifted the discussion about this film. So all the experiences that I have had working in partnerships with different groups have said that when it comes to stopping violence against women, when it comes to making sure our next generation have a wonderful life, people who would not normally sit across the table from each other are willing to put aside their differences and meet on this one. Very good. That, that's fantastic. And I'm glad I, I kind of ended on that vein. So so listen, uh, Gail, I, I want to just thank you for your work. I want to thank you for your time today. Um, and just so the audience knows, once again, we've been speaking with Dr. Gail Dines. She is the professor of sociology and women's studies at Wheeler College in Boston, also the founder and president of Culture Reframed, a nonprofit health organization that builds resilience and resistance in our youth from the harms of the porn culture. So, Gail, listen, keep up the great work. Uh, anything that, that I might be able to do to help you out along the way, I'm happy to do. And, and most of all, thank you for taking time out today to join me to help us shed light on this issue and more importantly what we as business leaders can do to make a difference well it was a pleasure and thank you for such a great interview as well the questions were great